Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Hey everyone, welcome to Medicus. Uh, this is Dave Lee. I am joined by a very special guest today. Uh, we are going to be talking to Adam Wadina, who is uh, a current M4 here, and he's uh, got a pretty interesting story to tell, I think. Adam, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so, as Dave said, I am one of the fourth-year medical students <laughs> here, um, and I guess to very directly address the topic mm-hmm. that we're going to be talking about today, um, I have the unique experience of being what you might consider a disabled medical student. I was born missing my left hand. My left extremity extends to about halfway from where my wrist to my elbow would be, um, and after that, there is nothing. Um, yeah, otherwise, that's uh, kind of address, directly addresses what we're right. talking about today. Fair enough. Um, well, so, I mean, that way, uh, what, what brought you into medicine then? Oh, boy. I, thought about I know this, this is I like thought about this since I filled out my applications yeah. for med school. Um, there's a lot of different reasons that I feel like people go into medicine. Um, for me, a part of it is in my blood. My mm-hmm. my father and his father are both physicians. Okay, um, and so I think there was always a an underlying pressure, not pressure, right, but an underlying hint at, at wanting to do the same thing yeah. there. Um, so that was a part of it. Mm-hmm. And the other element to it was just this is something that I, I felt called to do. Um, you know, I went to a Jesuit undergraduate university as well, and I remember hearing a couple of conversations from different mentors that I had there that it was very much in line with Jesuit mission and values to go mm-hmm. on and, and serve others and to do so in the form of healing and medicine. Um, and so that combined with my scientific interests mm-hmm. and my family background as well, all yeah. kind of snowballed into one giant application for medical school. <laughs> so kind of like a, a genetic predisposition to to entering the field. And um, uh, it sounds like just a like a unique combination of just being able to apply like your interest as well as your kind of inclination to service to others, um, to use the, the Loyola term. Yay. Yes. Um, yeah. The very Jesuit phrase. Um, but yeah, no, the, I, I mean, I think that's very admirable. Um, and I mean, you talked about your arm, right? And like, uh, I guess like before we go into that, um, I had a quick question. Cause I think when, when we first met, um, like I, I kind of perceived you as like, um, uh, like, I, I thought you were like an, a below the elbow amputee, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I think most visibly is, is is the assumption. But, you know, you were talking about like, you know, having that be from birth or congenital, right? And um, so is that still even an, an applicable term for you? Like, how do you usually like go about, I guess, describing it to people? Um, <clears throat> that's a good point, because yeah. there are some people who would prefer not to use the word amputee because right. it involves some kind of a trauma or event mm-hmm. that led to this. Um, I do still use that term, mm-hmm. at least for myself. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, a good, it's a good point. Yeah. I, well, I, mean, I'm just, I mean, this is, this is your personal preference as well. I mean, like I, 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 just, I was just more curious than anything. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so I, I kind of wanted to talk to you about this because um uh, well, particularly in the in the field of medicine, um, I think there's a, been a lot of attention, particularly recently, on just um, 
you know, accommodations for, um, you know, uh, providers or physicians or medical students who uh, have an ostensible, you know, disability, right? And and um, it medicine does not have the most uh, golden reputation as like a, an accommodating field. Um, I think uh, it, it's very, um, you know, in terms of like the the mental image that like stereotypical image, it, it, it's very it's a very able bodied field, right? Um, and uh, I guess, like, I, I just wanted to ask, like, you know, like, wh so what has been your overall experience, you know, in the medical field? Um, uh, I know I put my thumb a little heavy on the, on this question <laughs> a little bit. Um, Sorry, not strong. Yeah. And, and you're, I mean, like, I, yeah, I, I, I should just ask, like, okay, what's been your overall experience with medicine then? Overall, I think it's been a really great experience for me. It's been challenging, certainly, in a lot right. of ways because I've had to adapt to certain situations mm -hmm. that many people do without a second thought. Right. Um, but so far, I can't say that I've run into any significant barriers either. Okay. The, yeah. I've, the people who I have worked with and the people, at least that we have here, have always been fantastic mm -hmm. and super willing to meet with me, work with me, and just figure out what we need to work out to address the immediate challenges and also anticipate things that may or may not happen, but just kind of planning ahead mm -hmm. for for things that might become a challenge for me in the future. Okay. Well, that's that's wonderful to hear. Um, I, I mean, like, what, what are some things that you've, you've really, like, are there particular aspects that you, or experiences that you've really, like, valued um, just during your time here at, here at, uh, in medical school? I think this is most relevant to mm -hmm. more surgical specialties. You know, having, uh -huh. being a fourth year, I've gone through a number of the clinical rotations mm -hmm. that we have here. And a lot of my ex um, accommodating experiences have related to the more physical side of medicine. This also applies to some of the physical exam techniques that we've had to learn. Um, but I've had physicians and mentors and people who just kind of teach you how to do these things come in and work with me, either with standardized patients or just in other practice settings and figure out ways for me to do things. And you, you would not believe how hard it is to look in a child's ear when one hand is supposed to be holding their head still and the other one's supposed to be holding onto the scope. And yeah. I physically can't do that. Yeah. Um, but I've had people work with me and teach me ways to help children remain calm and look in their ear and mm. just keep everything stable. And it's been great. That's really interesting. Um, like just kind of learning clinical skills like in, in a in, in a way that's like you know functions better for you um did those providers like uh that you or did your mentors sort of like work with you to kind of see how to develop those or did they kind of um just they were like oh if you can't do this just just do that like uh there was an initial push that had to come from me for right. sure yeah i had to go to them and say these because the the challenge is is that i've lived with this for my entire life mm -hmm. but i'm asking people who i've never interacted with before right. to imagine what that would be like and then yeah. help me come up with a way to kind of bridge the gap between the two mm -hmm. um so it's been a very collaborative effort in that regard because they don't want to ask me because they'll feel like it's ch they're challenging me on what i may or may not be able to do but at right. the same time there's just certain things that it's very realistic to say i can't do them and need a way around them mm -hmm. uh <laughs> Speaking of asking, like, I, I did um, want to kind of ask, like, uh, so, you know, one of the first things I, I did notice, because, um, uh, you know, it's visible, it, it, you know, was your arm, but I didn't actually, like, directly address it the first time I met you, or I think, like, the first few interactions either. Um, 
but uh, and because I, I didn't want to be rude or, or you know I didn't really um, uh, and I didn't really want to make you you know feel alienated or any anything. Um, so could you talk a little bit about how you personally prefer to you know have it addressed? Do you prefer to have it addressed at all? Um, so I guess for me, my experiences there relate a lot to who I'm talking with. Mm-hmm. Um, kids don't have a filter. And <laughs> I, I say this because my pediatrics was one of my more recent rotations. Uh-huh. And I would walk into the room and some of them would be utterly petrified just at the sight of me. Because it, you're right. Really? It is, it's not the most subtle of, right. of, of physical <laughs> disabilities. Yeah. Um, but And then there are other people who just had, they just come right up and mm-hmm. ask. Yeah. Um, you know, I do, there and then there's the anomalies. I actually had a, a couple of kids who had a family member who was an amputee. So when they saw me walk into the room, they got really, really excited, which Aww. was a nice change of pace. Really nice. Um, but there is so I guess for me personally, my preference is just to ask about it because mm-hmm. you know, pretending it doesn't exist <laughs> when it so obviously does is just like, all right, what are we doing here? Right. But, um, Why are we doing this dance? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, because mm-hmm. I, you know, if for me, it, mm-hmm. it's it's a part of me. Like I right. said, I've, it's been there since birth, and to sit there and ignore it is mm-hmm. kind of, I, I guess, in a way, it almost disregards a part of who I am. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Um, is there a particular way, like you've heard, that's like a, a a good intro to that particular, like you know, I guess, like conversation or like line of questioning, or do you prefer just like people to bluntly be like, "So, what's up with your arm?" Like, I <laughs> that is one of many ways that this has come up. I do actually prefer the the more blunt ways because. Otherwise, you've got someone who's standing there stammering, being like, so um, I wanted to ask you a question, uh-huh. but I wasn't sure if it would be appropriate. And I'm just like, I already know what you're going to ask right, me about. Yeah. Just come out here and say it. <laughs> um, but no, I don't. I, I think one thing that actually does sometimes get on my nerves is, yeah. the, is the language that people will choose. Mm. You know, some people will choose limb. Mm. Some people will choose stump. Some people will, mm. will just pick different words and uh-huh. I, I don't know that there's any that come to the top of my head that stand out to me as particularly derogatory right but, but there but the way that people choose to address it sometimes can right. is a little unique i mean yeah st- stomp definitely seems like borderline and, and especially just kind of like a i guess like a an over clinicalizing of it in, mm-hmm. in some way yeah that that's mm. okay that, that that's interesting um so, I mean, in terms of visibility, right, like I, I have noticed that you you typically don't wear a prosthetic. Um, is that like an intentional choice? Um, yes and no. Uh, this is this is an interesting story. Uh, um, I think it would might benefit just for me to pause and quick mention that prosthetics are mechanical hands of some form or another that yes. people with amputations of varying kinds can live with. Mm. Um there's a ton out there. Electronic yeah. hands, just cosmetic hands, mm-hmm. claws, hooks, you know, right. you you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, I did not use one for a really long time, pretty much my, my entirety of growing up. I had I know I had one when I was really, really little. Mm-hmm. Um, we still have it buried somewhere. It's only like four <laughs> or five inches long. It was, it was fit so for me cute. when I was like a year old. <laughs> um, and then I didn't use one for the longest time. Uh-huh. And then I wore one for a few years because I tried to learn how to play violin and oh, wasn't wow. good okay. at it at all. So and it was the only reason I still had the prosthetic. And mm-hmm. so when I quit violin, I stopped using the prosthetic. Yeah. And then I got a new one when I came into medical school, used that for a little bit while. 
Um, and this one, technologically speaking, is a lot more advanced than the one that I used to have growing okay. up. Yeah. And it was really helpful in that regard. Um, but then, and I, and I apologize to anyone who is preparing for step one, but step mm -hmm. one hit. Uh -huh. um, and I, I'm pretty sure I gained like 20 pounds over the course of stress oh, eating for step one. <laughs> and enough of that weight ended up packing into my arm that it no longer fits. So uh, if, I I need, okay. if I'm going to use a prosthetic, I actually need to get a new socket fitted for it. Okay, I see. Do you think you will um, kind of get that refitted, like moving forward? Or, or, or have you gotten used to just things without it? Yeah, I... that. So that came at a very important crux of about to start third year clinical years. At, um, and I've learned how to do so many of the clinical skills without it because mm -hmm. I haven't had one available right. to me in a while. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. A lot of it's going to depend on where the technology goes to right. for me. Because if there are things that I need to do that become easier with the help of a prosthetic, I will absolutely look into getting one in the future. Yeah. It's just a matter of when that time comes. Okay, that makes sense. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, uh, playing violin, um, and I know you also play guitar. Um, you play for um, Healing Notes, which is the uh, little student group we have here where we go to the Pete's floor and, um, you know, sing to kids uh, and have a little jam sesh. Um, so uh, what other instruments did you learn to play, and um, how did you kind of get into those? Uh, so I learned how to play piano when oh. I was about nine or ten years old okay. um, and have been playing that for a while. Hmm. Um, I picked up guitar when I was about 14. As far as how, um, piano, I thought my, my family thought that it was very important to learn how to read music. Mm -hmm. Um, and piano, I think is a really good way to learn how to read music, but, mm -hmm. and also play music. And it's just a good, a right. fun like skill music to theory, have. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm -hmm. the music theory that comes with that. Um, guitar came a little bit later around the same time that I was quitting violin, mm -hmm. Um, and this actually came with the help of the prosthetist who I was working with oh. um, mm. because I went to him and said, I want to learn how to play guitar. Okay. Uh, it would be very unrealistic for me to expect the technology to allow me to pick out chords mm -hmm. on the left hand and strum with my right, right. the way that most people do. Mm -hmm. So I have to play a left hand guitar. Yeah. And he helped to design what functions as basically a bracelet for mm. the end of, of my arm and the it's just a band that kind of straps around there. And then yeah. there, the one end of the band is just bent out sideways and shaped mm -hmm. to look like a guitar pick. Okay. And that's how I've mm. been using that. I actually ended up breaking one a few years oh. ago because oh. after playing for so many years, right. it wore through it and actually had to get a new one made. Oh, my goodness. Uh, which I did not think was capable of happening because uh, right. he used the, the same material that he makes his prosthetic sockets out of. Right. So it's not plastic stuff like normal guitar picks. Right. Are. That's... That's also fascinating because, like, so he, this wasn't like a standard thing that that he had available. This is just something he had to like wing and kind of like, like improvise. Oh yeah, yeah. This was us improvising in the workshop in his office. It was a ton of fun <laughs> to do. But That's I've kind I've great. heard stories of other people with various limb deformities learning mm -hmm. to play guitar, and the other method that I'm most familiar with is uh -huh. that people will just take your standard old run of the mill guitar pick and bind it to their arm by rolling duct tape around it. Oh, my and gosh. depending on your genetics and how much hair you have, that sounds super painful. Yeah, that's like a free wax at the end of that. <laughs> um, uh, so, I mean, you talked about, like, learning to play a left-handed guitar. Um, like, So are you naturally, like, right-side dominant then, or, or is that... 
you've had to figure out other stuff? That's a really good question. Yeah. Personally, I actually don't know. Okay. Um, because growing up, I also played soccer, uh-huh. and I've been told, I don't remember much of it, but mm-hmm. from the people who watched me play, I would always kick the ball with my left foot consistently oh. and um i you know when it comes to either uh, well not that i skateboard but I, like uh-huh. wakeboarding or snowboarding right um I'm, i my preference is left foot forward huh. so there's always been a part of me that wonders if i would also have been left-handed which would just be a really cruel irony right. um, <laughs> so i don't know whether i should call myself ambidextrous right now as right. a joke or right. just, or <laughs> or just, just say that i'm right-handed that's that's fascinating i mean because i and i mean i didn't really I, the question kind of dawned on me like as i was like writing up the questions and i was like wait hold up like um i i've definitely seen him do like various tasks and i i've also like uh when i was in college i tutored for um a student who was um fully visually impaired and so like uh and i think after our first set at the end of our first session i just asked her like asked her like are you a visual learner? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, oh no. Um, so we worked with a lot of like tactile kind of like um, drawing type stuff. But but yeah, no, I, I I mean, it's kind of a reminder of just like, yes, like just because someone appears in a certain way or just like, you know, has a certain like, um, I guess like differences, like that's just, uh, you can still be left-handed and like not have a left hand, I guess. Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Although, I, there are also places that, that show that mm. you don't being left foot dominant does not right. necessarily mean it left hand dominant. That's so, true. Yeah. So yeah. really, the answer is I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just like hypothesizing about these kinds of things. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the uh, inquisitive medical student mind. <laughs> uh, so all right, I'm kind of shifting gears back into um, uh, medicine. Like, um, you know, kind of like with the guitar. I mean, I, I definitely was kind of surprised when i first you know learned that you played guitar um and i think a lot of people like you know myself included might see you and uh find it surprising that you're you're going into medicine um so what what are the what are some of the reactions that you've gotten from others in the medical field in the medical field um i guess like in the world first as well like it's up to you well, I've already talked a little bit about my pediatrics rotation. Yeah, there are, kids, kids will forever be surprised and unfiltered about their surprise uh-huh. uh, when I see them. Um, as far as others, it's the, I don't know that anyone has I've experienced any element of doubt. I think you know, I'm, I'm, I also am obligated to point out that I'm a medical student to them at the time. Right, so, right. so for them, they know that I'm learning regardless of, the, uh-huh. of my of what I'm able to do physically. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the medical field itself goes, um, that's been an interesting adventure. Um, mm-hmm. I've definitely been asked by um, various administrators over the years how I planned to approach certain things as I got to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the times before I was ready to, I, I remember being asked you know are you are you able to use a prosthetic in the mm-hmm. or and if you do and i was like i, I haven't thought about that but right. um having done the surgery now the answer is definitely no because uh-huh. you can't dunk a prosth- an electronic prosthetic mm-hmm. hand in a sterilizing anything oh. um, before gowning and gloving up to yeah. go into a procedure and, and without that and without being able to cover it with a glove mm-hmm. i just had to learn how to do surgery without a prosthetic oh wow okay mm-hmm. um I, and and I do want to get get into that as well. Um, but like, 
before we get into that, like, what what have your uh, what have patients' reactions been other than other than Pete's patients? <laughs> Um, I actually haven't had too many patients mm-hmm. call me out on it. Some of them have definitely asked. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a couple of patients who also have amputations of any kind mm-hmm. um, be, um, there's almost like a an extra level of solidarity that yeah. exists mm-hmm. with us. Okay. Um, actually, there's one story that I will tell, um, obviously all personal information removed from the story, but yeah. I did meet a patient um, about a week after their trauma, which resulted in wow. the loss of their of their left arm, it was just above the elbow for them. And this was while I I was um, with my guitar mm-hmm. um, at the hospital. Oh wow! And yeah, and and this patient had a family member come out and approach us and say, "Hey, look, this has just happened, and mm-hmm. I really think that they would benefit from you coming in to play." Yeah. Um, it was one of the most amazing experiences I think I've ever had as a medical student because we went in, we played um, super powerful, super, super emotional moment for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, there was definitely a moment of acceptance that yeah. I think was a little bit, I don't want to call it more easily facilitated because I feel like I'm <laughs> taking way too much credit by saying that. <laughs> um, but there was there was definitely a recognition that... Right. Even though, I mean, it's only been a week. Right, so even right. though the last week has been absolutely tragic, mm-hmm. um, there is a light at the end of a very long tunnel. And seeing someone who has lived every day for the rest of their mm-hmm. life, I think, kind of opened their eyes to that a little bit earlier than they were expecting to see it. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's that's really beautiful. Um, do you remember what you guys played or... I do. It was a country song. I do not like country music, but I told myself I was going to suck it up for the sake of of this person. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, Okay, so you've talked about this. You've touched on this a few times, but um, you also told me this story a while back. Um, Your first clinical rotation in third year was uh, surgery, right? Um, So... uh, yeah, like, would you mind kind of talking through some of those experiences? Like, I, I know you talked about, like, you know, the challenges with sterilization procedures and, and um, electronic proced- or pr- prosthetics, but, like, so what, what was that experience like? Yeah. Uh, so as a third-year medical student, most of our roles in the OR, at least at a teaching hospital like mm-hmm. this one, is to hold retractors, and if you're lucky, they'll let you suture. Um, and what, sorry, what's a retractor? Um, I... I I haven't been in the sure. OR very much. <laughs> Fair, sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, so these are usually you will be given some kind of a an instrument mm-hmm. of various shapes and sizes that is used to hold the skin in a position where the surgeons and residents are able to do the work that they're going to need to do. Gotcha. Um, this could be usually in abdominal cases. It's like holding the skin to the side so that they can get to the different areas of where they need to work right it looks like kind of like the curved cane end of like a shoehorn right like mm-hmm. yeah yes that's one way of looking at it. some of them are a lot bigger than that and yeah. some of them are very very small but yes that's the that's the gist of it mm-hmm. um and so i needed a way that i could safely hold on to one of these not drop anything on the floor mm-hmm. of the or um and also be gowned and gloved up and so this all came to the surface on day one of surgery when we're being taught by one of the OR nursing staff how to scrub into a surgery, get your glove size on, and all of these things. And so, typical for me, I just walked up and said, hey, 
I can't put a glove on this, and we got to figure out what I'm going to do about it. <laughs> um, and the look on her face was pretty entertaining because it was very clear to me that she had never experienced this kind of challenge in right. the whole before. But fortunately, she was someone who was super willing to jump on that right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we ended up doing was we took sterile Coban wrap or like athletic wrap, mm-hmm. and I would get my gown on, get my one glove on the right side. And then I would hold up the left sleeve out of the way where whoever else was going to be scrubbing me in would take this sterile wrap and just bind the sleeve up. Because mm-hmm. there's a rule that you can't have any open ends to like your sleeves or anything. So oh. we just needed to have mm-hmm. the sleeve folded up and tucked away and, and bound up. Okay. So that, that was how we tackled that. Huh. And how how was that experience? I mean, like, how long were you, were you um, using that in the OR or for, for that procedure? Like, how long were you kind of like using that retractor or... Um, were you just kind of using it as needed? Oh, there there was one case where I was pulling on a retractor for mm. almost three hours straight. Oh, <laughs> that was a very that was probably the longest case that I've been in, involved in. Yeah, um, but th- there are other surgeries that go for longer than that. But this was um, we were working in a relatively small incision, and so I'm already standing at a very awkward angle, yeah. pulling on two different retractors in two different directions with a resident <laughs> leaning over one arm to do the surgery and the attending on the other side of the operating table also working in this very small space. I can't see anything right. because I'm just like leaning out of the way, so my head's not bumping into theirs, and it was kind of a mess. And that was that was an exhausting day. I bet. Um, but it's worked out. How, how was your arm after that? Like, Was it just like rubbed raw? Or? No, no. I... I the the padding that we got out of the um, both the folded up sleeve and the athletic wrap never was irritating to me at all. Okay, well that's good. Um, kind of on that note, like what are some day to day things that you encounter or that come up for you that most people wouldn't think of, like in everyday life or in medicine, and they can be good or bad. Like. Yeah. Well, I think the other medicine story before we shift gears yes, is uh, when I was learning how to tie sutures um, because again i won't name names or throw anyone under the bus Mm -hmm. but the person who came over to teach me how to tie knots said okay there's three ways you can do a surgical knot you can do a two-handed tie a one-handed tie or an instrument tie where you're using the the tools that you clasp the the needle with Mm -hmm. um and they started by teaching us the two-handed tie and i pulled him over right away and i was like yeah, that's not going to work. you got to teach me the one-handed tie. Um, and so he's like, oh, right. All right, I'll be right back. And so he goes and he grabs a kit of sutures so that he, we can start working on things. And he comes back over to me. And I think he had forgotten uh-huh. that I had asked him to teach me the one-handed tie for very obvious, what I thought were very obvious reasons. Right. Because he says, okay, the one-handed tie is different based on your orientation. So the first thing I need to know is, are you right or left-handed? <laughs> <laughs> and... I looked at him and I was just like, is that a trick question? Yeah. <laughs> and he looked back at me and was just like, oh, shoot. I, I can't believe I asked that question yeah. to you of all people. And I was like, neither neither can I. Because right. that's literally the reason I asked you to teach me a right. one-handed tie. Yeah. But that's all right. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's, and I, I will never cease to tease this person <laughs> for, for slipping that up. And um, have you gotten pretty proficient with one-handed ties now then? like Yeah, I was, yeah. I mean, and, and this was another one of the, those challenges that comes up in medicine because, mm-hmm. you know, there are students who will jump on and be really eager to get into surgery and within the first few days, they're, you know, clo- um, 
tying sutures and, right. and, and, and doing things in the OR. And for me, it was, it was a couple of weeks. Uh-huh. And even then, I, I had to push and say, hey, I've been practicing a lot of my knot tying, and I'd really like to give this a shot on mm-hmm. something that would be safe for a medical student to try tying a knot with. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it, it worked out. And after I had done it once and kind of established myself as capable of that in, in these physicians' eyes, then they started letting me do things more consistently. And then it got to the point where they were actually starting to challenge me a little bit and say, do you think that you could tie this? And it was just like, I can't say I've attempted it before, but we'll figure it out. Um, you know, obviously it was all stuff that was not critical and stuff that they could let a third-year medical student work on work on tying. You know, it would have been mm-hmm. like a very obvious visible scar that I was right. going to very poorly sew back together. But yeah. I, I mean, I love I love that your attitude with so many things is just like, I don't know, I've never done it, but like, let's figure it out with like improvising a, uh, you know, a guitar pick out of prosthetic bits. And like, that's, I think that's super cool. Like, um, uh, has that always kind of been the case? Or like, or do you, um, uh, did you kind of like have to develop that over time? Um, if I, if I did, I don't remember it. So I would, <laughs> I would, I would just tell you that it, that's always been the case. It's just intrinsic. All right. Um, Okay, so I, I the other reason I, I kind of I wanted to bring you on the show was um, uh, can you talk a little bit about like the research that you've been doing on disability in medicine? Yeah, so I one of the projects that I've spin that I, I should say I did put together as a part of our bioethics honors program here mm-hmm. was some research into the effects of disability in medicine, mm-hmm. um, and more kind of inspired by this that patient um, who had the traumatic loss of their arm that mm. I that I already told it was why why are we so bad at this you know with the disability in various expressions of the term exist yeah. in a lot of different ways yeah. um, and why did it take a first year medical student who just walked in the room to play a guitar Mm -hmm. to kind of establish what this person and what their family could expect going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, and this, this was combined with a study that was found um, that had found that people, I guess average, I don't know. I don't know what what the proper term for that would be either. People who don't have any kind of a limitation um, would predict life with some kind of a disability, like an amputation, mm-hmm. um, to be worse than it's reported to be. And this was studied, I don't remember exactly how, it was, uh, like the quali- different quality of life measures, but the people who have amputations or other disabilities mm-hmm. report their quality of life to be higher mm-hmm. than it's predicted to be by people who don't have those same limitations, which I right. thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. That is fascinating. And so my project was a way to start working on creating another template and of course i had to throw a mnemonic in there because the medical world does not have enough of them um but i i I created an acronym that would help to put keep keep it in the mind of physicians i should Mm say um a way to talk to their patients and help them kind of manage their expectations Mm -hmm. and to help facilitate that same mentality of you know i've never experienced this before i don't know what we can expect Mm -hmm. but i have some medical resources i can do some research and we can come back and figure it out um, okay. and not kind of leave someone hanging with, right. with whatever their new life is going to be like. Okay. What, um, I mean, I don't know how many results you've gotten so far, but like, what have some helpful resources been that you've found? Um, so there are some quality, there's obviously the quality of life, um, mm-hmm. but, but something that's been really helpful 
for me at least, would be um, think, use stuff that's used more by like physical therapy and occupational mm-hmm. therapy, yeah. um, activities of da- daily living, commonly abbreviated in the medical world as ADLs. Right. Um, you know, things like being able to bathe yourself, dress yourself, prepare food for yourself, mm-hmm. drive around and get places. Yeah. Um, things that you and I would take for granted on any given day. Suddenly yeah. someone's faced with this new limitation of how in the world am I going to do this? Yeah. Um, and it's kind of taking those and applying them a little bit more medically as to what, where are we at now? Mm-hmm. You know, um, let's say someone who has diabetes now has yeah. to face an amputation. Where mm. do you think you're going to be mm. after this amputation? And then using that as almost a way of monitoring them, you mm. know, and saying like, okay, so mm. I'm having a really hard time dressing myself in the mornings. That's gone from, I don't remember the scaling system, so right. I'm just going to make up numbers. Uh-huh. Um, but we went I went from a five predicted to be at a three but i'm actually at a two and i really need some help with this mm. um so now we can say like okay this is a significant barrier let's figure out a way that you're going to be able to get yourself dressed now yeah figure that out now they're up to a three that's where they expected it to be mm. what were the challenges how did we get there um and most importantly how can we get this up to a four or ideally mm. even back up to a five you know okay. in or at least a way that you're comfortable saying this is my new five is that list of kind of um, uh, activities kind of like a standardized one, like dressing? There, there are standardized yeah. forms of this, uh-huh. yes. Um, I don't remember the name of them off the top right. of my head. I'd have to go back and look. It's okay. Um, but I, I was just asking because, like, um, do patients get some amount of, like, customization in terms of, like, what what priorities they would also like to, you know, value? Because, like, mm-hmm. you know, if someone, say, plays an instrument, right, like, that might be a thing that they they want to incorporate in that. Right. And I think that that is a very important thing for people to address on an individual basis Mm -hmm. based on the patients that they're working with. You know, if you meet someone like myself who's missing Mm -hmm. an arm, you know, what are are their challenges more based on hobbies or Mm -hmm. things that they need to get done over the course of a day, either with work or Mm -hmm. at home? Um, Yeah. So I, I, you make a very good point um, that this will, that this varies um, and so the fact that templates exist is helpful for mm. some things. And then once you start to get into these more individualized things of what's important to different people, mm. it becomes a little bit more challenging. I did want to kind of talk and talk about um, this topic a little more in terms of um, disability, just starting really basic too, like talking about the term disability itself. Um, like, do you feel like it applies to you? And then like, what, what do you think of it? Uh, for me personally, no, I don't think that the term applies to me. Mm. Um, I have had conversations with people um, who have experienced things at different points in their life. Um, actually, one of the people who interviewed me here at Loyola mm-hmm. is, uh, had polio when they were younger. But oh, they, wow. they had it when they were so young that mm-hmm. the residual changes and challenges mm-hmm. that they have in, in, their, in their legs has been what they've known for their entire life. Mm-hmm. And so we've kind of reflected on that as being like, would you, would you consider yourself disabled? No. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's just me. It's, it's right. how it, sure it's different than mm-hmm. what most people mm-hmm. are, are dealing with on a day to day. But I don't know that I would use the term disability, which mm-hmm. is weird because even though I call it an amputation, which is definitely not what this is, uh, <laughs> but um this and so when we talk, we're talking about this. He contrasted it to a friend of his who was like high school cross country star mm-hmm. and all of these things, and then got polio mm-hmm. and was then, in his words, disabled. 
because he loved to run and he couldn't because okay. of the after effects mm-hmm. of what polio did to his ability to move, right. and, and especially in his legs. Um, so as far as the term itself goes, hmm. that one's a little bit harder because it's it, it already starts this idea of, I hate to dive into the politics of like an ableist society. Right. Um, but but it, it, it already kind of sets you up at, and at almost at a disadvantage, you know, mm-hmm. to say like, oh, so-and-so has a disability. And so like you're already mm-hmm. expecting less from them. Right. There's a value um, judgment already kind of in there. Exactly. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, another wonderful human being who I've met who is also going to remain nameless, mm-hmm. um, who has a younger child who would fit into the today's definitions of disability. Um, and the way that they approach raising their kid is to say, like, you know, we're, you know, special ed classes and like all these things and all of these things exist as a way to prepare someone for the real world. And this parent just says, they're already in it. Right. You know, why are we, why are these, these, <laughs> this idea of special education and disability and all these accommodations, you know, you're, you're, you're setting someone up to fail in the, in the idea of, of th- this society I really, really appreciated this outlook because mm-hmm. it was just a way to say, look, I don't want my kid in these extra classes. I don't want them. I want them in the same class as mm-hmm. everyone else in their grade. And when they need to step away for mm-hmm. like their own physical therapy or like whatever other mm-hmm. things that they need during the day, that's fine. But they're going to be taught in the same classroom because mm-hmm. otherwise they're going to finish high school, maybe or maybe not go to college because mm-hmm. when they're done with high school, they're not going to be at the same level as everyone else who's their grade. And it's because of that, you know, preparing them for the real world and right. in doing so, um, this parent actually felt like this would have been holding their kid back, um, which I thought was, it's definitely a different perspective than I yeah. had heard previously, uh, but it's definitely one that I'm starting to adopt for myself because I think that it's a fantastic way of looking at it. I think that's, very, yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. And I, I guess it is uh, challenging, particularly with um, using the term like differently abled individuals, right? Like, cause, because mm-hmm. there's so much variability in, in how it, it, it's a very variable community too right like you know i think like in terms of advocacy type stuff like people talk about the quote-unquote disability community right but it's so kind of Mm -hmm. broadly encapsulating and and has such a um wide range of kind of um functional limitations whether it be physical or or um mental learning uh learning type stuff and uh kind of different people are included and not included in under Mm -hmm. the umbrella at different times it seems to me yes um and i think there's as as a, also a result like i think the different people's experiences with it also have provide them with a different outlook right like you know in the case of like you and the professor and um and the professor's friend who was like who who experienced a, an event that caused a limitation to what he was accustomed to being able to do right mm-hmm. um so yeah no i it i i thought this is just like an uh, an important topic to kind of broach because like it's uh it's a difficult conversation to have too, right? Because right. because there's so much like heterogeneity in it. Um, I'm sorry, I just got out of MCBG, so like, <laughs> everything is <laughs> all the microbiology terms. Right? Are yeah, through. exactly. <laughs> um, homologs. Uh, but yeah. Um, so you kind of touched on this already, but like, do you? Uh, what are some ways that your uh, particular situation like has? Um, give offered you to advantages or kind of like different opportunities um particularly in the field of medicine 
Um, you talked about you know the story with the the uh, patient and the 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 recent amputee that that you played for. Um, have there been other kind of moments of like solidarity or, or connection? Nothing as direct as that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that in a certain way there are times where patients are really excited or pleased to see someone working in the field who has some kind of a limitation um because i think that there is this um i don't want to call it like a god complex but there's definitely <laughs> there's definitely an, uh, an idea that that physicians are kind of at, at a higher level mm-hmm. than than the average human being right um and i think it's really reassuring for patients to see you know that doctors still get sick doctors right. have their own yeah. limitations whether um it's something as visible as mine um something that's less visible like you know being deaf or even or you know even starting to dip into the realm of um of different kinds of like psychiatric conditions or um or or other kinds of things you know mental health is also a really important thing that it's not well it's not visible and again i would not i'm not sure that i would necessarily fit all this under that same category of disability Mm -hmm. but it is um a limiting factor sometimes right yeah um what has your experience been um have in terms of like uh seeking like accommodations um throughout training like have you had to do that uh, or or has it just been kind of like a case by case situation of just like hey like teach me how to do one-handed sutures for me it's been a lot more case by case uh-huh. um i definitely wanted to go out of my way on the more surgical specialties mm-hmm. like surgery and obviously and, and OBGYN um, and just start very upfront and let them know that I was going to be a student on their rotation and this was my situation so that we could start addressing that from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, going into OB-GYN, especially when I was, I was on the labor and delivery unit right. overnight. Yeah. And so that was going to mean very, and any surgeries that happen overnight on labor and delivery is usually for a C-section that needs to happen right now, if not five minutes ago, mm-hmm. um, and so I needed to make sure that everyone who I was going to be working with was aware of my situation and how we were going to need to get me ready to work yeah. um, as quickly as possible. Okay. I really like that. Did you have anything I'll to add? I'll jump in, yeah. Um, so kind of going along the lines of how the medical world maybe saw you initially with your application. Like Dave and I are pretty recently coming off having to submit matriculation documents. <laughs> right. And there's this one long one that I think is called the technical standards. And mm-hmm. I personally kind of breezed through that because I mm-hmm. figured I'm, you know, I consider myself an able body and an able minded person. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of those is just, is there anything physically that might limit you or making sure you can hear so you can hear a heartbeat when you're listening to a heart? Um, was there anything you did you have to go out of your way to explain your own situation or did, did it ever come up with anyone in administrations at med schools or um, kind of behind the scenes like that that you had to address? I would say that I I did make mention of it somewhere in my application and I always make a point of it, but I try to be subtle. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. this goes back to very early in our conversation, the idea that while I do appreciate it when people are willing to just be upfront with me and ask their questions right away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't kind of pulling the wool over their eyes either. Mm-hmm. I made, I make sure that it's that I made sure that it was in my application so that it would come up and that we could talk about it so that I, I didn't want to feel like I had gotten into medical school 
because I fit under that umbrella mm. of disability for the sake of any kind of like diversity or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also wanted to make sure that they knew that it existed, but that I've kind of approached this with a mentality of, I don't have all the answers, um, but I'm able to figure them out with the people who have done this before and kind of make it, make it a more collaborative effort. I guess that, I mean, I, I, that, that really does resonate with me. And I'm, I'm like, um, formulating a question while I'm kind of like <laughs> providing this anecdote because um, when I was applying to right at, and I recently talked on on this show about um, my history with pediatric cancer and so whenever that you know like disability form shows up right it's like check this box if any of this applies to you or mm-hmm. don't like um, <laughs> right like I still check it because it's like have you do you have or have you ever had any of these things and like cancer's on there right like and I don't feel like that particular history is still debilitating me in any mm-hmm. particular way or um uh i mean it is in different ways in terms of like like psychiatric it's like like you know mental health after effects and just like um there are there's a sort of more nebulous thing called cancer fatigue that you know is kind of thrown around within patient communities i i don't know how much i can attribute my own just like fatigue to that and how much mm-hmm. of it just being i'm in medical school and i'm in t- i'm tired all the time um and and so it's just um and i i also had hesitation in terms of like disclosing that too right like it's a part of you know who i am and like it's a part of the story but it's like um you don't want people like treating you differently or like giving you special treatment because of it because um and uh and yeah like that's that's uh definitely a i don't know challenge in terms of just like what what do you do with this aspect of yourself right do um in terms of just like your your daily life right you're just kind of like this is who i am like take it or leave it right um one thing that you did mention is Mm. you 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 use the words it's a part of the story right um and Mm. in in a way it means it's a part of yourself right um now i'm not gonna go running up and down the streets proclaiming like <laughs> my name's adam and i have a disability you know it's not like i need to have that much idea of a right. self-identity yeah. um but it's but there there is an element of of just kind of establishing who you are and but but i think it's more important like what that means to you mm-hmm. and how you're going to approach that um you've interacted with me enough times to know that i have a very self-deprecating sense of humor when it comes to um, yes. my missing hand yeah. with lots of jokes and you know i'm from wisconsin originally so one of my personal favorites is mm-hmm. to have people walk up to me and be like oh my gosh it's so cold i can't feel my fingers and i look at them and look at my missing hand and just go oh my god i can't either <laughs> <laughs> um but again it's it's all in the approach that you take you know mm-hmm. i'm able to do that because i consider it a part of who i am mm-hmm. whereas the people who don't see themselves that way um they might try and find ways to hide it you know that's why prosthetics exist that have skin tone hands mm-hmm. and covers for them um partly for the sake of other people for the mm-hmm. for for cosmetics and making and having people who get the prosthetics feel more comfortable being in public um but I think there's also an element to your for yourself there, mm-hmm. you know, being able to face the reality, but still kind of visually having a second hand there that looks like a normal second hand, right. as opposed to my prosthetic, which was just a solid black black love, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, because it 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 wasn't a part of me, and I felt like I was I, for that I would have felt like I was pretending to have something that I didn't. Interesting. 
kind of just ending uh, or, or kind of wrapping things up because I do want to be respectful of your time. Like, um, what are some practical ways, um, you know, we as colleagues, you know, future kind of uh, fellow physicians um, can do to kind of like support you or kind of like, you know, just in daily life, like, um, uh, like, you know, make, make your life better in terms <laughs> of just like daily stuff. Yeah. Um, I think one, which we've already talked about a little bit, is the idea of kind of being willing to be upfront, but also being aware of the kinds of things that you're saying, mm-hmm. um, using terms that, you know, like we already talked about, like the difference between stump versus limb versus a uh, you know, hundred other ways to refer to something. Mm-hmm. Um, cause language is important. Yeah. Um, other things that I would always ask people to be careful of is making assumptions about um about whether or not someone is capable of doing something you know you mentioned that you were surprised when you first learned that i was able to play guitar Mm. and i cannot tell you how many times i've been at the grocery store or just like been out in public and had you know know, like looked like i was going to struggle opening a door Uh and someone is just like oh do you want me to help you with that like (laughs) i'm just like no, I'm good. I got it. And, but and I and I know that it's always very well intentioned, and they want and they want to be helpful. Um, but the way that it always comes off to me, at least, mm-hmm. is like you know that's going to be their good deed for the day. They get to help the guy with only one hand open the door. It's just like yeah, except you know what? I'm going to go home and open the door of my house, and then right. open the door of my bathroom, and mm-hmm. like open the fridge and create a pile of food. Like I, there's so many things that I do over the course of a day mm-hmm. that. You know, at, you know it, being aware of what people may or may not be capable of. Um, and not to say that there is no harm in asking, mm-hmm. um, but again, language is going to be important there. Okay. You know, so kind of tying this back to be more medically, um, you know, if I'm ever in the OR again, which I'm not sure I will be, probably mm-hmm. not, but if, if I were, you know, asking whether or not I'm, I, I'm able to suture in if I would like to, as opposed mm-hmm. to just like assuming that I can't and just mm-hmm. kind of finding other jobs for me to do, right. um, you know, or speaking more clinically, you know, recognizing that there are certain physical exam things or lab things or procedures that need two hands to do mm-hmm. um, and making yourself present and being able to offer assistance in some kind of a way, but not to do it in a way that's so that's like feels like you're taking over either Mm, i see okay that's an interesting philosophy um i as you were talking like i did kind of um remember it as something that i wanted to touch on moving back a little bit um i I was like okay we're gonna end no more um uh but it, it was sort of um on the note of accommodations too right and and um uh talking a little bit about like you know uh choices to like not pursue like like official or, or like you know um more i guess systematized accommodations i guess um and and i i i, I don't I, this might be less pertinent to your case but i do hear this in terms of like um people particularly seeking accommodations for uh, around you know mental health type stuff or or you know um uh very variations of uh, other limitations but like um sort of a stigma around seeking accommodations right particularly mm-hmm. in the medical field um i guess I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that i would i would definitely say that there is a stigma mm-hmm. around getting accommodations whether it be for mental health or for or for physical limitations right. um you know and and the ways that 
we can go about that are, you know, sometimes better than others. Right. Um, speaking more in terms of more like schools and exams and policies and things like that, one thing that is that comes up, especially later on in medical education, is I think step two, where mm-hmm. you have to demonstrate both your clinic, clinical knowledge by doing another really long multiple choice exam, mm-hmm. but you also have to spend a day seeing a number of standardized patients um, that you're going to be completely de-identified from your medical school and all of these sorts of things. And while I can't say I've personally done this yet, at least at the time of recording this, um, but I'm, I'm definitely anticipating, you know, I did not check that box because for of disability because I've learned how to do everything where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to open that can of worms with them to be like, hey, I have this limitation, but everything that you're going to ask me to do, I've learned how to do. Mm-hmm. So it didn't, it wasn't worth all the paperwork for me. Mm, and I'm not sure how that's mm. going to go. <laughs> um, I know that at least for anyone who hears this, who is in the same shoes as I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been told that it's a lot easier to facilitate those kinds of things, especially when it comes to the nationally standardized things, okay. if you've already established them with school. Mm-hmm. So because I've done all of our standardized patient exercises and exams and those kinds of things without any accommodations, mm-hmm. I didn't feel the need to file that way for the national exams. But if you plan to do that for the national stuff, it's recommended that your school has has it on record and documented that they've been providing the same accommodations for you over the course of your training. Okay. Um, going off of that, like for someone who, you know, might be interested in, in pursuing a, a career in, in, in medicine that is, you know, more in your shoes, like, is there anything you would like to tell them other than, you know, just that, that aspect of it? Um, I, I don't think that there's anything more that I would add, mm-hmm. you know, it, it'd be more like summarizing what we've already talked about right. because there right. are going to be challenges. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of it also always, it always boils down to the reasons that you're going to do something. Mm-hmm. You know, I would, I would not recommend going in just to say that you're someone who is disabled who went into medicine because, mm-hmm. um, you know, then it's, it starts to feel like you're more in it for yourself than you are for right. the patients. And that's, that's why we do this. That's fair. Um, but accommodations do exist and there are ways to get around everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've. I've been able to diagnose kids with ear infections who were squirming so much. And I still managed to look in their ears, Mm -hmm. even when I was only able to take a look with one hand. Um, So it's not impossible to do. It's just a matter of what have you learned to do already and how are you able to apply that to the training that you'll get in school. Um, So just to end things off, Adam, um, was there anything else you wanted to add for uh, particularly for like the general public or listeners, um, whether they be in medicine or otherwise? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's a whole lot that I would need to add. You know, I feel like I've talked already a lot about a lot of the things, you know, just kind of, um, the ideas of language and how you choose to bring things up, um, matters. Um, although I do think it it bears mentioning that on top of that, not making assumptions about Mm. what the person that you're seeing is dealing with, um, you know, the same. And, and so I have a story that ties into this (laughs) actually. Um, I was, having a really good conversation about this kind of thing with um someone and it was it was a really awesome just a great conversation we were mm-hmm. having a lot of good bouncing back and forth about different ideas and, and ways to approach things going forward um and you know and then this person just kind of really dropped the ball and they they said oh well you know it's it's like when I, when I broke my arm, I, I broke my arm once. And, you know, it's it, it was just like, 
and what's what's your point here? <laughs> and so um, I know what you're going through. Like. Right, and right, and so you know, making making those assumptions, it just it felt so forced. And even then, you know, there's there's a lot of really profound differences. You know, mm-hmm. you. you when did you break your arm? You know, when you were like 19 or something like that? Yeah. So you, you, you've gone, you've already gone 19 years having two hands. Mm-hmm. You've had that taken away from you, mm-hmm. which is already a stark contrast to my mm-hmm. experience. And on top of that, you're going to get it back in six weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, put it in a cast and, you know, now you, now you get to use your hand again. You know, so making those distinctions and f- trying to force this I- the idea of like solidarity or comparisons when it's mm. it's just not there. So just that being aware of those kinds of things um, means a lot to mm. people who do have these situations. Because um, while I can see that it's usually well intentioned and you know trying to find points of connection and solidarity, um, you know I'd, I'd much rather have a conversation about the differences that we have mm. rather than try and have you force a similarity that doesn't exist. Right. All right. Well, Adam Medina, um, thank you so much for being open about all of this stuff. And uh, just, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, I was really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. Thank you. As always, thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, please submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, no patient-doctor relation is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment.